God, we do uh, confess, Lord, that every heart is craving Jesus. Lord, we confess that deep down in the fabric of our souls, you have given us a yearning for Jesus. And Lord, we do uh, confess our great need for you even in this moment, God, because we believe, we believe that your gospel message can change lives in a moment. And so, Lord, we pray and we beg and we ask that you would do that here over the next 40 minutes in this message, God, that you would save people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Lindsay and I got back from uh, vacation last week, and, uh, and if you've ever been on uh, vacation, you know that there are really two types of people. That group number one, uh, they love to plan their vacations out. They love to research, do a lot of homework. They love to kind of plan out almost every day of their vacation. They might have uh, an Excel spreadsheet kind of breaking down where they're going to eat, what activities they're going to do. And, uh, and those types of people, they might be type A, but they want to maximize their vacation time. Okay, there's nothing wrong uh, with that. But then there's group number two where this group likes to just wing their vacations, right? They don't like to prepare. They just kind of, you know, they're just kind of thankful that they're on vacation and they'll just find a place to eat. They'll just find activities and they're just glad to be on uh, vacation. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of us fall in a group, number one, where you like to plan your vacations out? You can raise those hands high, be proud of that, okay? Now, how many of us are in group number two, Okay, wow, man, the majority of us, you just like to wing, that's interesting. Okay, that's good to, that's good to know for me as a pastor. So um, admittedly, <laughs> admittedly, Lindsay and I, we fall under group number one. We're more in that type A, kind of we like to plan our vacations out. And we like to know kind of what we're doing. We don't have the Excel spreadsheets, but we like to know kind of where we're eating, what places to check out, kind of maximize our time on vacation. And just to confess, when I, when I say we, I'm using we very loosely here. This is mainly Lindsay, and I'm just kind of on for the ride. And, uh, and, and I, you know, and just, this is free marital advice, right? This message isn't about marriage. But if you can learn, husbands, the phrase, whatever you want, babe, as quickly as you can, you're going to have a healthy marriage. That's somewhere in Ephesians 5, isn't it? Somewhere in there. But there's just some areas where it's just, it's just easier that way. But love, love vacations with, with Lindsay. They're awesome. So, um, but there is a benefit to planning and preparing a vacation out so you can really uh, maximize your time when you're away. Now, in the Christian life, I would also argue that there are two different types of people. Now, group one, there are certain Christians that have a very intentional plan as far as what it means to live out the gospel in their lives. That in their pursuit of holiness, they want to be prepared. They want to have a, a game plan. And then there's group number two where they just kind of wing the Christian life, that they're just glad that they're saved, but, but as far as having a plan and being an intentional and, and mapping out how they want to grow, that's not really them. That they kind of believe that they can just kind of drift into holiness. Now, what I want us to see in our passage this morning is that Peter presents a way of living the Christian life that is intentional that is prepared, that is deliberate. And he does this not because he believes that you can map out every single decision so where there's, there's no room for the Holy Spirit, but Peter presents a way of, of living out the Christian life in a way that's prepared and intentional because Peter knows and you know that we don't drift towards holiness, do we? 
We don't, we don't stumble upon living out our lives in holy conduct. In fact, what Peter shows us in our passage this morning is really two things. That in verses 10 through 12, he's going to show us the incredible worth of our salvation in Christ. And then in verse 13, he's going to show us that like planning out a good vacation, he's going to show us that once you treasure the gospel, you need to prepare your minds for action and actually live out the gospel by setting your hope on this grace. And so this morning, before we jump in, I just want to share just two aims that I have for our time here this morning. Just two goals, two hopes for us. That Number one, my, my first aim, my first priority this morning is that for those of us who are here today, and you would say that you have lost your all of the gospel, that my aim is that you would walk out of this room with a renewed passion for what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. If you're here today and you, you would say, I, I have formed kind of a callousness in my soul as it relates to what Jesus has done for me, my, my prayer is that you would have a renewed longing for the gospel this morning. And then number two here, my second aim is I want to begin to paint a picture of what it looks like to actually live out the Christian life. And and in verse 13, we're going to notice that Peter is making a strong pivot in not only talking about the grace that is ours in Christ, but he's going to transition into actually painting a picture of what the Christian life actually looks like as an exiled Christian. And so you're going to notice that, that firm transition. And so I just want to start by painting that picture of what it looks like to live out the Christian life. So those are my two aims this morning. Okay, so here's uh, number one. Verses 10 through 12, let's look at gospel treasuring. Gospel treasuring. Now, if you haven't been with us over the first uh, couple messages of our sermon series, throughout chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, Peter has pastorally pronounced a type of hope and encouragement for these exiled Christians who were struggling. And these Christians that Peter is writing to were, were really trying to, trying to live out their identity in Christ, knowing that their true citizenship is in heaven, it's not in this earth. And so they're trying to work out what does it mean to be in this world, but not to be of this world. And so as they're encountering suffering and trials, Peter's aim here over the first couple of verses has really been to encourage them. In verses 1 through 2, Peter has talked about how they have been chosen, that they are chosen exiles, that they're not going through this season of their life by accident. And then in verse verse 3, Peter has also encouraged them by reminding them that they've been caused to be born again to a living hope, just a, a glorious verse there. And because they've been caused to be born again, they have this inheritance that is unfading and undefiled. And then in verses 6 through 9, Peter, again, he encourages them to rejoice that even though that their faith is being tested, their faith is also being refined. And one thing that we know going through trials is that that during those trials, our faith is really being proven to be actually genuine and real and that God is near. And so now in our passage this morning, Peter brings a type of encouragement to exiled Christians by drawing their attention to their salvation in the gospel. Look with me at verse 10 here. He says, concerning this salvation. Okay, I just want to 
Just want to stop there for a moment. This, this salvation that he's talking about, according to verse 9, is the outcome of their faith, that it's the salvation of their souls. And this salvation is actually what he's referring to when he talks about grace that the prophets prophesied about in verse 10. This salvation is also the grace that we are to set our hope fully on in verse 13. And this salvation is also the good news or the gospel. It's the same Greek word in verse 12 that has come to us by the preaching by preachers through the Holy Spirit. Now, what, what is salvation though? I mean, if we're going to talk a lot about gospel treasuring and gospel living, what, what is salvation? What, what is the gospel really? And I know, I know when I say that, when I, when I say what is the gospel, and you know I'm going to kind of explain and describe the gospel, I know that for some of us, we think to ourselves, okay, here we go, back, back to the basics. This is the, the ABCs of Christianity. And, and you're tempted just to zone out. And, and I want to encourage you that as I start to describe and define the gospel and what salvation is, not to zone me out here. Not, not to say, okay, I got this. Not to think that it's the ABCs of Christianity, but to believe that the gospel message is really A through Z of Christianity. That the gospel is what saves us, but the gospel is what empowers us to live out the Christian life. And so if, if you're here today and you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, my, my heart has grown cold towards the gospel, just let this description and this definition just wash over your soul and, and just lean into what salvation actually is. So what is salvation? Salvation is the act of God by which sinners who have fully trusted in Jesus are saved from their sin and the consequences of their sin in order to make known the beautiful name of Jesus. I'll read that again. Salvation is the act of God by which sinners who fully trust in Jesus are saved from their sin and the consequences of their sin in order to make known the beautiful name of Jesus. Now, when you stop and actually think about that for a moment, like just, just pause for a moment in your own mind and, and just dwell on that for a second. That God saves sinners like us. It is absolutely stunning. It, it is the beautiful work of God that takes us who are sinners and transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. That it's God who takes us who are sinners, who are dead in our sins, that we who were objects of his wrath, that we were, we were destined for hell, but he takes us and he adopts us into his family. Like this salvation is, is not only stunning, but this is, honestly, this is a scandal. Like grace is, is scandalous. Like no one earns this. No one deserves this. And yet God takes us who are far from him, that we were enemies of him, and he drags us to himself, gives us the gift of faith, and now we are adopted sons and daughters of the king of kings. But this is our salvation made possible because of Jesus, and you can never, ever lose that. Now, that's the salvation that, that Peter is talking about, to concern yourselves with this salvation that's only made possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago, 
paid the penalty for our sin. Now, just think about that for a moment. Like the, the Son of God, the one who made everything, died in the place of sinners, that he purchased our freedom with his own blood. And, and not only that, but this is, this is what wows me. He not only paid the penalty of our sin, but he gives us the gift of his perfect righteousness. It's amazing. Like God's, God's standard of acceptance is perfection. Okay? And, and no one is perfect. And so we need Jesus not only to remove our sin and pay for our sin, but we need Jesus to give us his perfect obedience in order for God to look at us and not see our sin, but to see Christ. And so if you're in Jesus today, God doesn't see you and your sin and your shame and your guilt. He looks at you and he sees his beautiful son. That you are hidden in Jesus according to Colossians 3. This is, this is our, the gospel message. This is the amazing message of salvation. I wonder, non-Christian friend, if you're here today, and you might have just stumbled upon church today, or, or you might be here because a friend or family member just dragged you here. I just wonder, have you fully trusted in Jesus? Have you fully given your life to this salvation message? Have you transferred your trust away from yourself and upon Jesus? Or, or maybe regular church attender, like maybe you're here every week. Maybe you thought that you were saved, but you're hearing about this other righteousness that's, a, that's being gifted to you by Jesus. And you're thinking, man, I want that. I want to receive that. I just, I want to encourage you. If you're, if you're wanting Jesus, if you're wanting to put your faith in him, that after this service, I'll, I'll be available to talk to you. Dale would love to talk to you. Dustin would love to talk to you. Or you can turn to the person next to you or around you and ask them, how do I get that Jesus? And I guarantee that person would love to share with you how to put your faith in Jesus. But this is the salvation that we are to concern ourselves with. And so Peter doesn't just draw our attention to salvation, but, but notice this. In verses 10 through 12, Peter also shows us how to treasure this salvation, this good news, this grace that is ours. And Peter does this because when you're living like an exile, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through all kinds of trials, sometimes you just need to be reminded how good your salvation is. Sometimes you just need to be reminded how, how amazing, how incredible this salvation is so that you can actually treasure it. And Peter does this in three uh, different ways in verses 10 through 12, three different intensities. That first, he highlights that the prophets of old have prophesied about it. And then number two, that the Holy Spirit gets in on the action and announces this salvation through preachers. And then number three, angels actually long to look at the gospel. And so what Peter does here is, is he just wants to wow you with the salvation. And so he's saying, look, if you think the, the Old Testament prophets who prophesied about this was a big deal, check this out. The Holy Spirit gets in on the action. And if you thought that was a big deal, the angels actually long to look at the gospel being announced. And so let me just highlight these three uh, more in-depthly here. Number one, the prophets prophesied about it. Look with me in verses 10 through 11. Look, look in your Bibles here. 
He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, what Peter is saying here is that in the Old Testament, the, the people of God, there was no church, but the people of God was the nation of Israel, the Jews. And the prophets were some of Israel's ancient office holders. They were kind of part of the, the spiritual uh, leadership team of the nation of Israel. They're kind of like the, the first celebrity religious people. And, and they had a very important role where God spoke directly to prophets, and then the prophets would speak to the people of God. Now in verse 10, it says that the prophets, they prophesied or forecasted the grace that is ours through the gospel, that they, know, they knew that the Messiah was coming to offer grace. Now, Peter continues on, and he says that, that these prophets were actually given a specific kind of insight into the mystery of the Messiah, that the Messiah would be a suffering Messiah. Now, why would Peter include that? Like, what's the point of that? Well, what Peter is trying to do is he's trying to encourage these believers who were also suffering. And he's encouraging them by saying, look, Jesus, the the Son of God, the Messiah's sufferings was not by accident. It wasn't a surprise. So therefore, your sufferings are not a surprise. He's trying to encourage them with that. But Peter also says that these prophets, they searched carefully and they rigorously sought out something that they studied long and hard and, and gave themselves to the word that God had given them. Now, what were they searching? Well, verse 11 says that these prophets, they searched and inquired who the Messiah would be and when he would come. Now, Peter, again, is, is trying to encourage these exiled Christians who were going through suffering by talking about how, how even though these prophets were amazing, even though they, they directly spoke with God, they got words from God, they still did not know what you know today. They did not know who the Messiah was going to be and when he would actually come, but you do. Now, if you're reading that in the first century, that, that would cause you to be just awed by the gospel. That would cause you to just treasure this salvation that, that the prophets didn't know about Jesus, about when or who, but you do. He's trying to encourage them to actually treasure the salvation that is theirs. Now look with me at verse 12. It says, And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So, so these prophets, they, they were aware that their work and searching and faithfulness to God was in order to serve those who would come after them. That they were not serving themselves, but they were serving the generations that would come after them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read that and, and I think about that for a moment, I can't help but think about ways that we can be serving our next generation. I can't help but, but think about all the different ways that we can be serving our children and, and our students, even, even on Sunday mornings in, in, in children's ministry under Heidi Sweet's leadership, because we have been given 
the baton of faith to pass from one generation to the next. And so if the prophets here were serving not themselves, but the generations to come after them, then how much more should we, church, be serving the generations to come after us? That we should be investing in children and in students in our church with the good news of the gospel. And so there are so many different ways to do that, even on Sunday morning with with serving in children's ministry or under Dave and Shannon's leadership in our student ministry, the 7th through 12th grade uh, ministry that we have here within their small groups throughout the week. But would that phrase be true of us today, that we were serving not ourselves, but people to come after us? I just, I want us to be a church that's not only known for the preaching of God's word and for having a love for the lost, but I want to be a church where people look at College Park Fishers and they say, man, they are serious about the next generation. Like they are serious about investing in students and investing in children with the good news of the gospel. And in order for that to happen, we need your help in those ministries. And so Peter highlights the the role of the prophets and, and how selfless they were in their work in order to, again, just to awe them with the gospel and the good news. Well, not only that, But Peter also highlights the role of the Holy Spirit in this. So not only does he highlight the prophets, but he builds upon that and he draws our attention to the Holy Spirit who announces the good news through preachers. So look with me at verse 12 here. It says, And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the second way that Peter wants to awe them with how just amazing this gospel, this good news actually is, is by explaining the fact that the Holy Spirit, one member of the Godhead, announces or, or proclaims the good news through preachers. It's just, it's just amazing. Like, like one member of the Godhead believes that this gospel message is so valuable and should be so treasured that he is intimately involved in the pronouncement and proclamation of the good news. So what that means is that when, when you're sharing the gospel with people who are lost or you're talking about the gospel with a spouse or a friend or your small group or your kids or when I'm preaching the gospel that we're not doing this on our own strength, that we actually have the Holy Spirit who's empowering us, who's announcing this message through us because this message is so incredibly valuable. I experienced this this very thing when we were on um, vacation. We went to South Carolina, and, and just about every day we were on the beach. And Ellie, she's almost three, and she's in this stage where she just like goes up to random people and just starts talking to them. Like, I wonder who she gets that from. But she's just that typical pastor's kid where she just like sees a family and just goes up to them and starts building a friendship, just ta- starts talking to the friends. And so as her dad on the beach, like she goes up to these families and I'm coming along with her, making sure she's okay. And so she's interacting with the children and I just have this beautiful opportunity to interact with the parents or the grandparents. And this one, um, this one example, when we were on vacation, um, 
Ellie did this, and so I start talking to the grandparents, and they're from England. And so I'm thinking, okay, how, how can I bridge this to the gospel? I'm probably not going to see these people again. How can, I, how can I talk about Jesus in some way? And so I just asked them, hey, what, what's the spiritual climate over in England, over in Europe? I'm just, I'm so curious. And so they start talking about that a little bit, how it's dark and all that. And so I, I then try to move it from the general to more personal. And I say, so, so what's the church like? Are, are, are you involved in church? Do you go to church? And they said, well, you know, we grew up in church, but we haven't in decades. And, and so then, and this is what happens when you start asking questions, they start asking you questions, right? And, and so they're like, well, well what's, what's the spiritual climate here in the States? And like, what's, what's church like for you? And so beautiful opportunity for me to, to talk about the gospel and to talk about the beauty of, of Jesus with them. And, and it was just like the Holy Spirit was just orchestrating this, this conversation. He was empowering me to actually talk about the good news because it is so incredibly valuable. And so this truth, I don't know about you, but when I, when I think about this truth, it motivates me to step out of my comfort zone and engage in conversations and look for ways to bridge it to the gospel because I'm not doing it by myself. Like, I'd be, I'd be terrified if I was doing this, by, if I was even preaching this moment on my own strength. I'd be utterly disqualified and, and terrified of this. But the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in the process of making known the good news. And so he's tying these two things together, that the same prophetic power demonstrated in the prophets of the Old Testament is the same power of the Holy Spirit in the announcement of the gospel. But not only that, look at number three, that the angels long to look at it. So again, Peter's like, man, if you think the prophets prophesying about it was a big deal, think about the Holy Spirit. If you think that's a big deal, Look, about, look at the angels. Look at verse, at the end of verse 12 here. It says, uh, things into which angels long to look. Now, the word things is referring to the gospel being announced, being proclaimed to sinners by the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, Peter is painting this picture for us. This gospel should be treasured so much that even angels are engrossed in this message that God saves sinners. That even angels, when the gospel is being announced, are kind of looking at, man, this is amazing here, that God saves sinners, and they're longing to look for it. They're looking at at different ways that the gospel is being pronounced, and they're gazing into what God has done for sinners. This reminds me of, of what Jesus said in Luke 15, 10. That, heaven, that the heavens rejoice over even one sinner who repents, implying that there's some type of angelic attentiveness to what takes place here on earth. That the angels are even engrossed in the gospel message. And so when you think about your own heart this morning, when you think about your own just relationship with the gospel, do, do you treasure the gospel? Are you... Are you in awe of the gospel? Or, or have you kind of stumbled into a, a type of callousness as it relates to God saving you? That maybe God saved you years ago and, and you're thinking, I, I need to mature onto some other things. And maybe you've lost 
just that awe that God saved you who were a sinner just far from him. But Peter here, he's attempting to encourage the believers who were suffering. He wants them and he wants us to, to treasure the gospel. And so even though they, they are suffering, the, the Christians that Peter is writing to, that they're suffering a loss of cultural status and, and even relational status because of Jesus, Peter wants them to know that they are far more privileged as it relates to their status in redemptive history, even more so than the prophets of old and the angels above. That they are to rejoice in the great reality and cling to the gospel of the good news found in Jesus Christ. So not only that, not only are we to treasure the gospel, but we are to live out the gospel in verse 13. So look with me here at verse 13. Peter says, therefore, or in other words, because of what I just said, uh, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So ha- have, you ever, have you ever experienced a time in your life in which you, you saw something so valuable that it led you to action? I'm sure, I'm sure you've experienced this from, from time to time, or maybe, maybe you saw your spouse for the first time, and your spouse was so desirable, so worthy of pursuit, something just welled up within you that it then led you to action and to pursue your spouse. Or, or maybe you have a, a job interview coming up or a, a really important exam, and that is so valuable to you that it's leading you to action, to actually preparing for that interview, preparing for that homework assignment. That is exactly what Peter is doing in our passage. That in verses 10 through 12, Peter is laying out just how valuable the gospel actually is, and then that leads to living out the gospel. That gospel treasuring leads to gospel living, and you see that in verse 13. That you, can almost, you can almost circle verse 13 in your Bible because this is the big transition point in the entire letter, that he moves from just the opening of the letter that has been really focused on, on the grace of the gospel to now How do you actually live the gospel out? How do you live as an exile Christian? And so he's going to begin to just start to paint that picture of what it means to live out the Christian life with all kinds of commands and exhortations. Now, the command in verse 13, the the center of gravity, is the phrase right in the middle where he says, set your hope fully on the grace. Okay, so that's, that's the central command. That's what Peter wants his readers to do. And in fact, he'll, he'll return to the same idea in verse 21, to hope in God. And remember, he's already talked about hope in chapter 1, verse 3, where God has call, caused us to be born again to a living hope. So clearly, hope is a major theme in chapter 1. But what, what does it mean to set your hope fully on God's grace. Well, the word hope here is is a confident expectation. This isn't just a a wishful thinking type of a thing. It's not, I I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, but, but this word has the idea of assurance, that what you're hoping for, you're certain that it'll actually come to pass. 
And what Peter tells them to hope in is grace. And, and not just any kind of grace, but actually a future grace, something that they will fully receive at the revelation of Jesus. That when Jesus comes back, they will fully receive grace and not wrath. That they'll receive acceptance and not rejection. So Peter wants them to have this type of assurance of that reality that their hope is alive. Now, when you're reading this passage, have you, have you ever wondered like why Peter is talking so much about hope? Like everything is, is driving to, to verse 13 to set your hope fully on this grace. What, what is Peter getting at? I think Peter knows how incredibly powerful hope is. I think Peter understands what, what you and I know is that whatever you're hoping for in the future dramatically impacts how you live in the present. That if, you know, back in school, if you're wanting good grades, if you're hoping to get good grades, that's going to impact how you study and how you live in the present. And so Peter, who's, who's trying to encourage these Christians who are going through suffering, going through trial in the present, is trying to remind them of the future hope that is theirs, that, that grace that is theirs because of Jesus. And I wonder, have, have you ever gone through a season of life where you had no hope? Have you ever gone through a moment in time in which you just lacked hope? And do you remember what it was like to live day in and day out? Just how, how miserable that is? How much that was actually impacting you? Or maybe, maybe you haven't experienced that season of life, but maybe you've experienced a type of, of life in which you're hoping not in things uh, about Jesus, but in other things, which is something that is so attractive and so appealing when you're going through suffering and, and you're going through different, different trials is the temptation is to hope in the immediate, to hope in things of this world, not to hope in something future, but when you're going through suffering, like you want something immediate. And so it's, it's so easy to have our hope be distracted into things of this world, to, to hope in that job promotion, or, or to hope in having the, the perfect kids, or, or to, to hope in that number in your bank account, right? Things that are immediate, things of this world, instead of setting your hope fully on the grace that will be yours in the future because of Jesus. And so it begs the question this morning, what, what are you setting your hope fully upon today? Like if you just did a, a self-analysis of your hope, where, where is it today? Is it, is it in your health? Is it in your finances? Is, is your hope being placed on that, that perfect life that you have planned out in your mind? Is your hope being placed on who the next president will be? Or is your hope placed upon the person of Jesus Christ? Because here's the thing, like all of those other things, like some of those things aren't bad. They're actually good things. But when they become ultimate, that's when you steep into idolatry. And, and all those things are fleeting. All those things can be taken in a moment. In, in an instant, your health could be gone. In a moment, you could, you could, lo you could lose that job tomorrow. That relationship could be severed, but, 
But the only thing in this life that is, that is unmoving, unchanging, is the true rock of ages, Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what Peter is trying to draw our attention to, is to set our hope fully on the one thing that will not move and will not change, and that is the grace found in Jesus. And he uses that word fully there, and I think it's because Peter knows that you can't set your hope passively, that he wants us to set our hope fully because it takes everything that we are to fully trust in this grace that is in the future. And if you're like me, you're probably wondering, like, okay, how do you do that? Like, that, okay, I, okay, I need to put my hope fully in the future, but, but what does that actually look like? Or in other words, how do you know when you're actually setting your hope fully on this grace that's in the future? Like, let's move it out of the abstract into more concrete, more in the practical. Well, Peter doesn't leave us hanging here. He gives us two ways to help us set our hope fully on the grace that we will receive. And it's in verse 13. So first, look at the beginning of verse 13 to help us with this. That we are to prepare our minds for action. Prepare our minds for action. That this phrase literally means to bind up the loins of your mind. Okay, this is, a, this is an idiom that was used commonly in this time to describe the, the tucking up of their robe into their belt in order to create more, more freedom and more movement with their legs. Okay, this is a common idiom at this time because at this time period, they, they wore these long robes. And so they couldn't just like bolt and take off and start running somewhere. They would, they would trip over their robe. And so they had to prepare before they just started running. And so they would kind of take the rope and they would pull it up and they would tuck it into their belt in order for them to actually run well. And so we have kind of a, um, a, a similar phrase of kind of rolling up your shirt sleeves before you get to work. It's kind of the same, the same idea. And so the way that Peter is using this idiom as it relates to setting our hope fully on the grace is that you don't just drift into living a life of holiness, that you don't just live out the gospel by coincidence or by accident, but it takes intentional and, and it takes a, a mind that is prepared for action. That in the same way that, that people in this time period had to prepare and, and pull up the robes and then live, that we as believers need to be prepared and need to have some sort of game plan as it relates to living out the gospel and pursuing holiness. And so I would argue, like planning a good vacation, there is an intentional preparation for how to live, that we prepare our minds for action, that we are deliberate about what things to avoid and what things to pursue. And so do you have that this morning? Do you have a game plan for your own pursuit of holiness? Like, do you know your strengths? Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know the, the triggers in your life, those, those temptations that, that will get you almost every time? See, there are things in our, in our lives that we really need to avoid. There are things that we really need to be prepared and to have a game plan, especially when you think about the entertainment world, for example, that what you fill your minds with will impact your affections and your desires, which will then impact how you live. So we need to be prepared for action as it relates to the entertainment world. 
Or, or maybe another example would be the conversations that we're in, making sure that we're avoiding gossip and avoiding slander because when we fill those things with our minds, it affects our desires, which affect how we live. So we need a game plan, not, not only for what things to avoid, but even for what things to do. But I think a, a great application of, of what it means to prepare our minds for action is to redemptively scheme and plot ways to do good. To, to almost have these, these dream sessions of how can we live out the gospel and bless others? How can, how can we gather with our small groups and, and our families and our friends and, and just have a dream session of like, hey, what, what ideas can we do in order to prepare our minds for action to live out the gospel? And so, um, you know, Halloween's around the corner. Like, there is an opportunity for us as believers to redeem that whole time by thinking about how neighbors will be coming to your house. Like, like neighbors will be knocking on your door. What are some ways that we can bless them? What are some ways that we can live out the gospel? Or maybe it's just getting in your small group and thinking, man, how can, how can we bake cookies and give them to our neighbors and just, and just bless them? Or, or think about the Colts, right? Like, everybody loves the Colts. Everybody's watching the Colts game. Like, what if you just invited your neighbors over or your lost friends over to watch the Colts game? Like, are, are you redemptively scheming and plotting ways to do good to advance the gospel? And we do this with the people that, that's in our lives. Like, are, are you in a small group here? Are you in a discipleship relationship where you can get with other believers and, and have some of these dream sessions? But that was just a couple of examples of how to prepare our minds for action. So that's one way that we set our hope fully on the grace. The second way in verse 13 is by being sober-minded. Be sober-minded. That This phrase could be translated as be self-controlled. And it's in the tense of this ongoing action. Okay, don't miss that. It's this ongoing practice of self-control. It's not, it's not just a one-time thing, but being self-controlled and being sober-minded should be something that describes you as an ongoing process in your life. And this phrase is typically used against alcohol throughout Scripture, but, but Peter is applying this to our minds. It's kind of an interesting thought that Peter wants us to avoid mental intoxication that would confuse the reality of Christ and lead us to not fully set our hope upon this future grace. And Peter will get um, into this more later on in this letter, in chapter 4, verse 7, talking about prayer and talking about the devil's schemes in chapter 5, verse 8. But just a couple of ways to be sober-minded in your own life and, and to be self-controlled is, number one, just having a deliberate time in the Word and in prayer every day. Just a, a non-negotiable in your life is I'm going to spend time with God and make sure my mind is sober before I go through my day. Or, or maybe another application is, is our fresh encounter services. That as a church family, we gather once a month to pray and to worship, to close out the Lord's day. And it is a great way. It's one, of the, it's one of the best things that I love about our church, just to gather with the church family and pray and praise the Lord and, and to get our minds sober for the week ahead. 
And our next one is October 23rd. But, but we need to spend time thinking about ways, how can we be sober-minded? That we're actually thinking about the ways that we're thinking. That we're thinking about ways that we are feeling. That there's, there's this sense in which you're not easily swayed by other notions around you. But you're calm, you're collected, you're firmly grounded upon the word of God. The being sober-minded is stopping and it's considering how it is that you're living and is this really matching up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we set our hope on this, future grace, on this future grace by preparing our minds for action and being sober-minded. And so we see from this passage that gospel treasuring does lead to gospel living that is intentional, that is prepared, and that is deliberate because we do not drift into holiness. And I'm excited to continue on with this letter because Peter is going to continue to unpack that picture and, and paint a more full picture of what it means to live out uh, this Christian life. Now, as we just turn to application, I just want to close this time this morning with, with just five pastoral questions for us to consider um, in regards to living out this passage Okay, so you can, you can write these down. They'll be on the screen, or you can just think about them now and, or think about them later on today or throughout this week. But just be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is, is revealing to you as it relates to applying this passage to your life. So here's, um, here's number one. Have you truly received salvation in Jesus? I mean, I don't want to skip over that. Like, maybe you're here and you're wondering, like, how, how do I receive salvation? Jesus and trust in him and him alone. And I just encourage you, I'll be available up here. would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus and to have uh, this hope in this life. But number two is, has your heart grown cold to the gospel? And if so, why? And you could even add on another question to this, but like, what's your personal game plan to not lose your all of the gospel? Man, we all need that. Like, I've got, I've got mine. Mine's, mine's brushing my teeth in the morning. Like, as I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I'm reminding myself of the gospel. Because even as a pastor, I'm so prone to forget the gospel throughout the day and just get lost in ministry and lose sight of what Jesus has done for me. So that's one strategy I have is, like, when I brush my teeth, I have to do it every day, right? So I'm just going to remind, I'm just going to preach at myself the beauty of Jesus. Number three is what are you truly setting your hope upon? And you could even add another question. Is, is your hope leaking today? Like, do you feel like your hope is being distracted with, with other things? Number four here is what in your life is causing you to trip up in your pursuit of holiness? So preparing your minds for action that idiom to gird up your loins? Like, what areas of your life do you need to tighten or, or fasten in order to live out the gospel? And then number five here is, would you be described as a person who is sober-minded? Why or why not? And do you think about your thinking and, and your feeling? So those are just, just some questions for you to consider and just to think through and, uh, and throughout the week and just allow the, the Holy Spirit to massage this truth into your life as you live out what it means to treasure the gospel and to live out the gospel. And so let's pray together.
God, we thank you for the beauty of your word. God, we thank you for uh, this passage particularly, Lord, the way that, that Peter just highlights how glorious our salvation is. And Lord, I pray that you would infuse in our hearts, God, just an, an awe, Lord, a desire, a passion for the gospel that we would then live it out in our own areas of our lives. And so, God, would you help us do that? Would you minister to us by your Holy Spirit, not just when I say amen, but all throughout the week? Lord, help us to be people who are lights in our community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.